0: MTT Kimitsion Torah, you're listening to the Arab Shabbat program. Arab Shabbat Kodesh Hey Tevet Parashat Vaygash. And I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. I'd like to dedicate this Arab Shabbat program to the memory of uh, a baby that passed away in the Shiva community this week, Al yakim Chaim. Golchmet, son of Stephen and Ariel Golchmet, for those of you who knew them. And um, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu send them comfort and help them to continue with their lives and to build a family, Zarachaya Kayama And on that note, we enter Parshat Vayigash, which is a parsha which... Um, Deals with love within the family. Parshat VaYigash is a parsha which deals with the love of a brother for his fellow brother, love for a son for his father, in different different ways. Whether it's Yehuda's love for his father or it's Yosef's love for his father, it's a parsha that deals with the love of the father for the son. As mostly, is expressed for ya- Yaakov's love for his. Lost, long, long lost son Yosef, and um, in that vein, um, it's a parsha to dwell on the issue of love within family, loss in family, and trying to move on from loss. In order to get to that point, I want to start from a a uh, seemingly minor point an interesting point and hopefully get to something of more significance Um, towards the end of the Parsha or in the middle of the Parsha after Yaakov decides that he's moving his whole family to Egypt we have a long list of the 70 members of Yaakov's family how 70 is exactly calculated, calculated their different problems who do we count who don't we count is Yocheved Counted um, is one of the suggestions in the Rishonim. It's really sixty-nine, but it's rounded to seventy. Um, is Yaakov to be counted to reach seventy? Different uh, different solutions to that to the mathematical problems, but there's one problem which is less well known, and that is the following pasuk. Um, in Yehuda's family, we have. In Parak Memvav Pasuk Yud Bet, we read the following: Uvenay Yehuda Er VeOnan V'Shelav Aferetz V'Azarach Vayamo Et Er VeOnan Beretz Kenan Vayuvenay Feretz Chetron V'Chamul. One pasuk describing Yehuda's family: Yehuda having five sons, Er VeOnan Shelav Aferetz Zarach. However, two of those sons dying. Erve Onan, as we read about in Parshat of And then, Vayuveneferet Chetzron v'chamul. And the sons of Peretz are Chetzron and Chamul. When we do the math within the parasha, we see that indeed Yehuda is himself, one person, and five offspring. Er Onan don't count as they died, they did not come down to me trying, but Chetzron and Chamul. Re-establish the number of Yehuda's offsprings as five, making Yehuda's section of the family six. Uh, at times, when we read the text, we can uh, lose track of uh, time and not realize that there are certain problems that arise when we. Actually, sit down and do the math. And I'm not talking about the math within the parsha here of how we get to 70, but a different type of math. Uh, the general time frame for the story of Yosef. Yosef at the beginning of Parshat Vayeshev is 17 years old, and when his family is reunited in this week's parsha, Parshat Vayigash, she's 39 years old. We know this because he is 30 years old when he appears before Paro. There are seven years of plenty and two years of rav, of famine pass, getting us up to 39, which means we're talking about a 22-year span from the time where Yosef is sold and is sent to Egypt until his family is reunited, until this moment when 70 uh, children or the family of Yaakov are brought are come down to come together in Mitzrayim in Egypt. Um, the the story of Yehuda and how he had children and how they died and how he had more children is told in Parshat Vayeshev in conjunction with the story of of Yosef being sent down to Mitzrayim being sold to Mitzrayim. Uh, certainly Chazalar of the attitude that this happens. Yehuda's story happens immediately after the selling of Yosef to Mitzrayim. That means, at the time when, at the beginning of this 22-year period, Yehuda gets married and starts having children. Um, it is possible to suggest that this might have happened slightly earlier, and the Torah placed this in this, in this place, though it happened earlier. Um, the gap within the age of Yaakov's sons is not great, he started having children after seven years of his 20 years with Lavana. The first seven years he didn't have any children, he wasn't yet married. After seven years he started and he finished having his children within seven years. Yosef being born, the last of the 11 children born outside of Eretz Yisrael, at the end of those seven years. Perhaps, according to Sam Parshanim, Yaakov got married before the end of the seven years, and maybe we could stretch the span to ten years. Um, in a moment we'll get to what our problem is, and how the problem is dealt with, and how the problem w- we want to deal with, how we want to solve the problem ourselves. If we take Chazal's approach, and we'll take it in, as an extreme approach in order to highlight the problem. We have 22 years from when Yosef is sent away until the, the family, all 70 of the Yaakov's family members come down to shrine And that Yehuda started building his family in these 22 years. Now, from what we are told from the, the Pesukim in the Torah... Yehuda has three sons: Er, Onan, and Shelah. Within these twenty-two years, Er and Onan reach a marriageable age, a child-conceiving age. They die. Shelah is still too young to be married at the at the point where they both die, and then. Tamar does what she does in order to conceive Yehuda's children, Peretz and Zerach. And then according to the P'sukim, Peretz reaches a marriageable age as well and has two children, Chetzron and Chamul. Within 22 years, he has sons reaching marriageable ages, two sons, a gap to the third son. Then he has, after those sons have reached marriageable ages, he has two more sons, twins, who they too reach marriageable ages, at least one of them is married and has two sons. Let's do the math here. Within 22 years... Let's take a low figure of the age of 12 or 13 for being marriageable age. Ere turns 12, 13, 12 let's say. He dies very soon. Onan is more or less the same age, maybe a year apart. He's also marriageable age, so let's say, let's get ourselves up to 13 years. Onan dies. Or up to thirteen years out of the twenty-two years. And then Sheila is not yet a marriageable age, so she's significantly younger, so rating another two, three years minimally, or up to sixteen years. And then parrots and Zerach are born. Between sixteen and seventeen years, parrots and chatron parrot pardon me, parrots and zerach are born. And now parrots, with five years to go to get up to 22 years, is successful to have two children? Something's wrong here with the math. Again, we're taking very conservative numbers here. We're assuming that they're a marriageable age at the age of 12 or 13, which is 13 is the age that... uh, a male becomes of age physically and is able to conceive maybe a little bit earlier depending on the individual. He immediately gets married. His brother gets married a year later or or immediately after, but he needs more time to mature as well. The third brother is not old enough. How does this all fit in 22 years? This is a very difficult question. Now the Seder Olam Rabbah takes the approach that uh, yeah, in those days they got married at the age of seven, eight, and then everything can fit into 22 years. But we're talking about, to, for for argument's sake, a couple generations growing up here within 22 years. If you followed, you followed. If you didn't follow, you didn't follow. But it seems to be highly unlikely. And even if you add a few more years here or there and assume that Yehuda's story started a little bit earlier, the numbers here are problematic. And the f- the, the, the first, I would say, excellent suge- uh, s- suggestion to solve this problem, many of the parshanim didn't even deal with this problem, whether they noticed it or not, I do not know. It's not explicit in the Psukim, we have to be very sensitive to the read of the Psukim in order to notice this problem. But Kasuto, made, Made the follow, pointed out the following difference in wording. There are two sets of Yaakov's great-grandchildren mentioned in these 70 psukim. We have B'nai Peretz, Peretz being Yaakov's grandson, Yehuda's son, having Chetzron Vechamul, And we have later on, Asher's son, Bria, having two sons, Chever and Malkiel. There's two sets of great-grandchildren, Chetzron and Chamul, and Chever and Malkiel. There's a slight difference in the language, however. In the description of B'nai B'riah, it says, U'v'nai B'riah, and Malkiel. The sons of B'riah, Chever, and Malkiel. However, by the sons of Peretz, it doesn't say B'nai Peretz, it says, Vayu B'nai Peretz, Chetzron, Chamul, And, the sons of Peretz will be Chetzron v'Khamul. In other words, what Kasuto is suggesting, Chetzron v'Khamul are not yet born. In, in fact, it's impossible for them to be born in such a short amount of time. And that indeed, they were only born in Egypt. So why are they counted as one of the 70, two of the 70 children of Yaakov? Because Chetzron and Chamul are replacing Erve Onan. Because Erva Onan were in existence, and should have been in existence had they not sinned, Therefore, chetzron v'chamul posthumously can replace er Onan, even though they're not even in existence at a time when Yaakov's family reaches Mitzrayim. What we're talking about here is the abilities of families to face tragedies and move on to desire to not be deterred by tragedy but to continue to build. And in this sense, the mother of these children, Tamar, is a very strong example of this. Tamar, whose first husband died without any children, whose second husband refused to even allow for the possibility for there to be children, and then died too. And that she saw that the third son, who was supposed to be given to her as well, was not going to be given to her. At any point, after the first husband dying, after the second husband dying, and after, or after the third husband not being given to her, she could have given up, crawled into her small space, and wallowed in her sorrow. But she did not. Tamar fought to have children in the way that she saw just. And she took action and she made sure to have children. She did not sit down. She did not let herself wallow in her sorrow. And while it's so difficult to think about after a tragedy to get up and to not wallow in sorrow. Thank God, when tragedies occur, we hear about other families who have managed to get up from tragedies. And now, with a broad view of 10, 15 years later, we know families who lost a child, God forbid, but they did lose their child but they have families of five, six children and they've managed to move on and they're dealing with their sorrow and they have had a tragedy but they've managed to make something of themselves. And this is a strong message in, in the children of Yaakov in general of knowing to face tragedy, not ignore tragedy, But be able to move on from tragedy and make something out of the tragedy and make a better ending. At this point in the program, we'll all listen to Rav Tavori, who will tell us about the site of a Gadol who passed away this week.
1: Usually, we discuss at this time one of the people whose yard site we commemorate this week. Instead of doing that this particular week, we'll think about the many, many people who suffered and perished as a result of the fast day that we remember this week, Asar HaBetevet. Rav Zevin, in his article in Mo'adim Ba'alacha about fast days, divided fast days into three different categories. He said there are fast days of Tshuva, fast days of Bakasha, and fast days as a memory of Avelus and puranus. The first category, a fast day of Tshuva, has, of course, the prototype of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, tshuva Yom Kippur is the day of Tshuva, But of course, it's a Yom Tzom, a day of fast. And the fast and the tshuva certainly are related one to another. In Biblical law, of course, there's only one fast day, Yom Kippur. In the Rabbanon law, in the Chiyuvim, in the obligations of rabbanan to fast, we do not find a fast whose primary purpose is tshuva, but Minag Yisrael, the customs that Jews have developed throughout the ages have had have within them a concept of a fast day for tshuva. For example, the custom of fasting after Yom Tov, after the three regalim, we have a custom of fasting every Monday, Thursday, and Monday, known as Bahab. That day is a day where special slichas are said, and people have accepted fast days to fast on those days. Today, except for the yeshiva world, I find very, very few places that observe bahab even to the extent of saying slichas. It goes without saying that most people do not fast on bahab. But the custom of fasting on bahab was based upon the idea that after Yom Tov, when we left our normal patterns of life, and perhaps we engaged in a little bit too much frivolous activity, Chachamim somehow created this custom of fasting in order to atone for might might have been done inadvertently which in things which would not have been within the spirit of Yom Tov, indeed not within the spirit of Judaism. The fast that we have that some people accept, Erev Rosh Chodesh, the fast, the day also of Slichos that we call Yom Kippur Katan, is also a fast day that's based on the concept of tshuva rather than asking our Kaddish for anything specific or. As a day of Avelus, a day of mourning. The second type of fast day, the day of Bakasha, of Askech Baruch Hu, is really the topic that's found in the beginning of Mesechas Tanis, and in general is a thread that goes through that Gemara. The Gemara says that when there are certain problems occurring to Bnei Yisrael. The Gemara, of course, in Tanis discusses the fact of a Batsoret, a situation where there's no rain. The Gemara goes through a whole procedure of how we declare fast days, when do we clear the fast days, and what do we do in those fast days. It's obvious that the purpose of those fast days is to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to intercede. And give us rain. It's not mandated, of course, in the Torah, but it seems to be. It's included in the biblical law of The Torah told us on a day of war, but the Medrash Halacha explained that it's not just war. Any problem that faces the Jewish people, whether it be pestilence, whether it be famine, or whether it be war, is it time for Bnei Yisrael to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to intercede. And that time, the Gemara in Tanis, the Mishnayis there in Tanis, explain the fast days that occur based on the situation of rain. So for sure, there's a concept of bakasha. The Ramban, of course, as we'll all remember, said that someone who is in a Shas is biblically obligated to pray, even though the Ramban himself thinks that Tefillah is the Rabbanan. The biblical obligation of Tefillah does not exist on a day-to-day level, but it does exist based on that Pasuk, in the situation where there's an unusual problem facing the Jewish people, then we turn to HaKadosh Baruch in prayer. The Mishnah explained that those prayers are accompanied with a fast. And that fast is obligatory upon all Jews. The Rambam, in a very famous statement, in hilchot Tshuva, the Rambam discusses that various people who are, who are considered beyond the pale of Orthodox Jews. The Rambam gives a concept of a mumar, we would call it in English an apostate, someone who rejected Judaism. And in a famous statement, the Rambam said <speaking> in Perigimel <Hebrew> of Hilchosh Halach Yudalif, ha avera Yisrael, The Ramam says a person who deviates from the common practice of the community. Even though he did no specific Avera, he did nothing specifically wrong, but he separated himself from the community He did not do mitzvahs together with them, does not identify with their pains, with their troubles, and does not fast on their fast day. If he didn't fast on the fast days that are in the Shulchan Aruch, I would not say he's not a person who did abstain from every Avera. The Ramam is referring to fast days that were called by the community. When the community decided, for example, that there's no rain, and the situation is dire, and we must pray, we must fast. <coughs> this particular person said, I opened the faucet, there's water, my it's not my problem, it's the problem, let them worry about it. Not because he's sick, not because he can't fast for any specific reason, but simply because he says, it's not for me, it's not, I'm not part of that community which is affected by that particular problem. The Ramam says this fast day, the fast day of Bakasha, the fast day that people are involved in as a community is so important that a person who does not take part in there in that fast day just because he doesn't feel like it he doesn't identify with it the ram says he has no share in olam haba so that's the second type of fast day a fast day of bakasha of <coughs> excuse me vasniya karishbargo to intercede the third type of a fast day is of course the one that we're more familiar with, the fast days to remember the tragedies that have, bef- that have occurred to the Jewish people, and indeed to mourn those tragedies and the people that perished at those times. This of course is based on the Pasuk of Zechariah, that he refers to the various dates and the months, he uses Samarvi, Tsamachamishi, Tsamashvi the various dates in the Pasluk in Zechariah. And they were identified. Tsa refers to Betamuz, the fourth month. The Tsamachamishi is Tishabav, which is in the fifth month of Tsamashvi is, of course, Tsamgidalya, Shlish Shlosha Bhatishri. <coughs> and this week we have Tzom HaAsiri, which is the tenth day of Teves, and Teves is the tenth month. And the Rambam adds, V'noag Ko Yisrael elu yisanos. The When I say the Rambam adds, it depends upon which text of the Rambam we have. According to the text that is found in the manuscripts used by Rabbi shaptai Frankl, that phrase, Yisrael elu is the end of the previous halacha. The Tzamarvi, Tzamachamishi, Tzamashvi, siri. these are the dates declared by Zachariah, and the entire community has the custom of fasting on these days. Uh, according to the standard edition of the Rambam, the phrase Venuagukho Yisrael is the introduction to Halacha Hei rather than the end of Halacha Dalid. But it does seem more logical that it should be the end of halacha dalid and not the beginning of halacha hey, And these four fast days, the Gemara says, in certain circumstances, when there is a peace, whatever peace means, we don't fast. If there is a bad situation, whatever that means, you must fast. And if there is a sort of a parva situation, it's neither war nor peace, then it's up to the people to decide if they want to fast or not. And Rishonim explained that today we all want to fast, we've accepted upon ourselves to fast, and probably that's what the Rambam was inclined to point out when he said, Noagu lisanos bizmanim Noagu lisanos. At our time presumably when it would be defined as a time of neither shalom nor milchama neither peace nor war. The Rambam says we have agreed to fast. But let's focus for a moment on the particular fast day that we are going to point out this week. Asar In the Gemara, in our sources, we find two possible dates for this day, and exactly what day did the siege take place was a subject of discussion, we follow the opinion that it's on the 10th of Tevez, but it would be important to note that some people think it was on the 5th of Tevez. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah brings a machlokas between Rebbe Kiva and Rebbe Shimon. Rebbe Kiva says that in the fast of the 10th month is the 10th of the 10th, which is Aserba Teves, the Shimon said, it's the 5th of the 10th month, because that's when the message was given that the city had been somehow uh, attacked. Be that as it may, we accept the custom of fasting on the 10th of Tammuz, of tenth of Teves. And a very interesting idea was said specifically about Aserba Teves. Aserba Teves is the only fast day that can occur on Friday, and we do fast on Friday. Asar b'Teves cannot occur on Shabbos. The calendar that we have does not have a, a, an, a an opportunity for Asar b'Teves to be on Shabbos. The point was made by the Avudraham, and it's quoted by the Beis Yosef that had Asar b'Teves been on Shabbos. We would have fasted on Shabbos, although all other fast days, of course except for Yom Kippur, all other fast days if they fall on Shabbos are postponed till Sunday. The Avudraham said the tenth of tavis is different because the Pasuk uses the word Batemhayamaze on that very day, in the essence of the day. That same phrase is used by Yom Kippur. So even though Asarba Tevis is the Rabbanan, the opinion of the Avudraham is that we would have fasted on Shabbos. Of course, this is something that is only theoretical, because in our calendar, it can't happen. But the Arsameach, quoted by Rav Zevin in his article on fasts, says a brilliant pshat in the Gemara based on this idea. The Gemara says, in Erevin, the Afmem Beis, that they had a question in the Beis Midrash if a student, a young fellow, was fasting on Friday... Should he finish the fast? On one hand, we think that if you finish the fast on Friday, it means you enter Shabbos in a state of extreme hunger, which is not appropriate for Shabbos. So, the Gemara raises the issue that, are you allowed to fast that entire day and enter Shabbos in that situation? The Arsamech pointed out, why did not they discuss this question about a regular fast day if it's on Friday? And we could prove it from, from Asar Bateves that we do fast on Friday until the very end. So he pointed out that no other fast day can ever fast happen on, on Friday. Shiva Tammuz, Tisha Sam can never fall on a Friday. Asar Bateves is the only one. And although it's true that we do fast on Friday on Asar B'tavis, there's no proof to that for any other fast day. Because Asar B'teves, I would have fasted on Shabbos had necessary. So Asar B'teves, since I would fast on Shabbos, I certainly would fast on Friday. But the Gemara raised the question about any other fast day. Had it been on Friday, if somebody would have accepted a Athanas on Friday, could he indeed fast the entire Friday and enter Shabbos in that state of extreme hunger that we mentioned before? So Asar B'teves is certainly a day of... Avelis, of Pur Anus, a day where we fast as a result of a type of mourning. The, the regular laws of Availus do not apply, but the type of fast day it is, is a fast day we remember the tragedy that befell the Jewish people. i just like to point out that this division of Rav Zevin, between the laws of different fast days, and saying that the these fast days are fast days of of uh, of, um, of availus and not days of tshuva may be questioned a little bit when we study the Rambam in Hilchos The Rambam in the Perikay of Hilchos says that all the fast days, whether they're the fast days of of, of of uh, asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or anything else, the Rambam says, There are some fast days that everybody fasts because of the tragedies that befell the people. But then he says, But the purpose of the fast is to cause us to open our hearts to do Tshuva. And the Ram goes on to explain that by these things, by fasting and observing the fast day, it is indeed a day of Chuva. So the division that we made in the beginning is not that clear-cut. There are fast days of Chuva, only of Chuva, like bahab. There are fast days only of bakasha, maybe, maybe. But there are fast days of avelus. this group, and perhaps the former group as well, have a combination in the Rambam, both of fast days because of the Puranas, but we should use them also and understand the message we learned from the fast, that it's not just a question of going without food, it's not just a question of remembering what occurred in the past, but it's actually a tremendous impetus to remind us to do tshuva in order to avert similar catastrophes to Jewish people.
0: Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. Again, facing tragedy is not an easy issue. But in terms of uh, what we discussed last week regarding Yosef and the Maccabim, at times it seems so much easier to give up it seems logical to give up. Yosef should have given up hope of ever getting out of prison, and the Makabim should have given up hope of being able to defeat the mighty Greek Empire. But he did not. They did not. And Tamar did not give up hope of having children. Having children, whether her own children or her children of Tiyudah whether it was something personal or something religious for generations to come, she did not give up hope. And we hope also that despite the tragedies that sometimes happen to us, God forbid, or happen to people close to us, we know for ourselves and we know to help others to not go into, crawl into a corner of Yeush of giving up, but to push forward and to have faith in God that we have the ability to stand again, to move forward and to make make productive lives of our lives despite our tragedies. May we not need to face tragedies. May we be able to give ourselves... And the people close to us, around us, the abilities to face tragedies, to overcome the tragedies, to not wallow in Yehush, to not give up hope, but to face the future with new strength and new abilities to be productive once again. Shabbat shalom.